Welcome to Commons and Chronicles, the podcast where we talk about all the best creative commons and reusable open game license content. If you need resources for your creative writing, game design, or you just love lore, Commons and Chronicles is for you. Hey everybody, this is Clatu. You're listening to Chronicles and Commons. This is it. This is episode 52. Well, actually, it's episode 104, but not really because I missed some episodes in there. Either way, it's been going on for um, for almost, well, I mean, for two years, literally two years. A couple of missed episodes in there, but otherwise it's been going on for two years. So that's exciting. In this episode, we're going to talk about the Chessmen of Mars. And I wanted to save this book for the very last because I think it's representative. I think arguably it's... It's the best representative of Barsoom. This book is unique. I think it, I, I believe it's the fifth book in the series. So there was Princess, there was Gods, there was Warlords, uh, then there was Thuvia, and then there was Chessmen. And as a young reader, when I first discovered these books, Thuvia was always my favorite novel. And I don't exactly know why. I have a feeling it had a lot to do with the cover art, but it wasn't actually, it's not actually the, the greatest book because um, it's not really about the title character as, as such. It's, it's, it's less about the title character as it is about um, the, the, the man who comes to, to rescue her once she's in peril. And that's pretty typical, and it's not, you know, I mean, if, if you're looking for, for great feminist literature in the early 1900s, Edgar Rice Burroughs is not going to be the one who provides that for you. You're going to want to look at Maria Corelli or someone like that. You're not, you're not looking at Edgar Rice Burroughs. So that's fine. I have no problem with that. There's an understanding of, of what one is asking for when one sits down with a Edgar Rice Burroughs novel. The, the, the problem I have with it is the the, the potential, the, the lost potential there, because Thuvia, as I think I've mentioned before, is such a, a really, really great character. And because she has this telepathic link to to the, the beasts of Barsoom, it, it sort of it it makes her into this kind of almost um, well certainly a ranger if you think in D and D classes. But if not, then you, she's, it certainly makes her a beast master or beast mistress um, in, the, in the traditional – or what I think of traditional. You know the old movie Beast Master. It's really bad. Um, but you know, you, like someone who, who commands the beasts, Aquaman for, for, a lack of a, for lack of any other analogy. So there's a, there's a whole story right there waiting to be told, and certainly in the setting of – writing in Barsoom settings or in the setting of of playing a game in the Barsoom setting i think beast you know the communes with nature the beast master whatever you want to call the that person that uh, ranger i think that's huge that's huge it's like a whole character class that that opens up based on thuvia but it's never really delivered in the book it's just hinted at and you have to kind of Take that idea and run with it if, if you're keen. But in Chessmen of Mars, you get a, a very different kind of experience. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the main character of this book, Chessman, ostensibly is Tara, T-A-R-A. Tara, um, the, the daughter of John Carter. And, and ostensibly, she's, she's the main character, but, but pretty quickly after the, I don't know, third or fourth chapter, let's say, she gets into trouble and she has to be rescued for the rest of the book. So, I'm not saying that this is any different in that sense from Thuvia, Princess, or, uh, Thuvia of Mars. It's just the the story structure itself is not the typical formula of the previous John Carter novels. It it frankly reads a little bit more like a Conan story. Not exactly like a Conan story, but it's a little bit more like a Conan story. It's a lot of exploration, a lot of encountering bizarre, bizarre creatures and characters, and some pretty morbid stuff. So it's 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 quite a it's quite a change, actually, and John Carter doesn't figure into the book much at all. The real revelation that this book holds, and, and it, this is already hinted at as early as the second book, and certainly it's carried on through the third book, so there's, there's absolutely hints of this, but this really drives it home in a big way, I think, is that Mars is a big planet, and it's very disparate. There are lots of different or, um, civilizations on Barsoom, and they just don't talk to each other. They don't sometimes even know of each other. They don't know a whole lot about each other. Sometimes they'll attack each other, or ra- there'll be a raiding party that, that, that attacks a, a caravan or something, and they'll take slaves. But really, they, they don't they don't mix a whole lot. They're very self-contained and kind of self-standing, each little kingdom or fiefdom or whatever, unto itself. And you you hear about some cities that that do interact on a fairly regular basis, or some cities that are kind of enemies that attack each other regularly, but that's just sort of one and two cities. It's, it's not every city on, on Mars. So, while on certainly this planet and in this current time we have several countries, and and they, as a country, they they take up a a pretty respectable chunk of the of the globe, whereas in on Barsoom you have lots and lots of little, of uh, fairly small cities. I mean, they might be. You could even argue that they're mega cities, but even a, a mega city. I mean, if you think of the largest city that you can think of, I don't know what would that be like Sao Paulo or or Mexico City or something like these big, huge, sprawling cities. Even those, you've got you, you don't you know you're, you're not talking about the size of I don't know the USA or Canada or Russia. You know, it's not that big. So I, I get the sense that that even if these are mega cities, we're, we're looking at a bunch of little Sao Paulos scattered across the planet at, at irregular intervals. So some of them are, are completely so, so remote that they are essentially, like from, from the perspective of, for instance, the Red Martians, they are, they are undiscovered. And specifically, there's a society society uh, introduced in chessmen of mars consisting of the chaldeans now the chaldeans are 
um, they consider themselves super intelligent creatures. They are they they their appearance is of a human head, and the human head is sort of all brain. They they need very little to survive because they're just a head, and from their neck extend. Um, you can choose your your nightmare, but it could be tentacles or it could be spider legs. Um, it is described more or less as spider or crab legs that extend from the bottom of the human head, and they they carry the head around just as you would if you were a crab or a, a spider, except you had a head mounted on you instead of a, a thorax and whatever other parts of an insect's body there are. I don't know. And and it they crawl around. They just sort of crawl around uh, when whenever they please. Now to get around uh, on the you know to to make greater strides, their chosen method of transport are the rikors. A rikor is a specially bred and maintained human body, and it is just the body, no head. So they are brainless bodies. They are physically perfect, and that is that is stated very well, not very, but but quite explicitly in the book. They are perfect specimens of a human body. Like they're the kind of body that you would look at and feel jealous about. You you that's that's a beautiful human body. It is a rikor. It has no head, but otherwise it is perfect. There are uh, male and female rikors, although it doesn't much matter. They're just it's they are maintained basically as cattle. They sort of they do menial work, and then only if instructed on how to do the menial work. Otherwise, they just sort of lay around. Now, the way that these rikors are sort of kept in good condition is that the Chaldeans, which are the human heads with spider legs, crawl up onto the Rikor's shoulders and connects to the Rikor with, you know, t- takes control essentially of the spinal column of the Rikor and then can just move the Rikor around uh, just as if though it was their own, their own body. They have little, little saddle type attachments they 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 mount the uh rikor's shoulders with a little leather um collar sort of thing and and that's how the rikor's can comfortably sit and balance on the or rather the caldane can comfortably sit and balance on the rikor and they they'll drive them around you know for as long as they need um and and then when they're done with them they'll they'll park them somewhere and 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 continue on their daily uh, routine as just a human head, just a head going around the the, the house uh, eating and, and sleeping and doing all the normal things that um, a human would do, except that, again, it's just the head. And, and so it, it doesn't need as much to survive, and they take quite – they take a lot of pride in, in that. They also consider themselves uh, very, very intelligent. They also have a have a – uh, sort of a charm person spell, so um, they can stare at you if they make eye contact with you, and you fail your 
uh, intelligence or your um, will save or whatever it might be, your wisdom save, I guess, um, then you are taken over by by this this stare. And they can instruct you to do things, or they can prevent you from doing things. It kind of depends. I mean, you can you can resist, but whether or not you successfully resist or or, or just do what they tell you to do, or or what they bid you to do, because they're not actually even telling you. They'll they'll just they'll just force you to do things with their mind. Uh, you you may not be able to resist. So far, I think in the book. I feel like one person may have resisted a little bit, and that's about as far as they got. Mostly no one can resist this stare. And it depends on the age and experience of the Chaldean as to whether they are very good at this or not very good at this. They're some of the most bizarre, macabre, horrific creatures I've read about in a while, to be honest. They're a really, really clever kind of bizarre creation from Barsoom that you, you really do expect to see in the D&D monster manual. I mean, it's just it's just absurd enough to be sort of humorous, and then also just terrifying enough not to be humorous at all. They're, they're probably my favorite, I mean, they're definitely my favorite Barsoomian uh, monster, um, and, and one of my favorite monsters in general and it's just so great that they're public domain because it's it's obvious that they they're just begging for a stat block and the 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 idea that there would be two separate stat blocks for the head and for the body is even more appealing because you'd have all these strength-based attributes you even strength and dex for the um the rykor and intelligence and wisdom for the Caldane, put them together, you have an even more dangerous creature. And then the fact that if you sever them, or if you think you've severed them, now you have, you've defeated the Rykor. It's probably, it's not going to be able to attack. It has no eyes, so, and it doesn't have any kind of blind sight or anything like that. So, You've defeated the Rykor, the strength and the dex-based creature, but then you've still got this mastermind head that could charm you or whatever to deal with. So, and it can still move around too. That's the the best part about it, I think, is that it can it can propel itself. It's just on the Rykor for convenience. It's um, it's it's just it it begs for development. It is definitely something you should introduce into your game campaign maybe something into your horror story who knows it's just it's just that good so there are a couple of other things in the chessmen of mars that that are worth um mentioning one of them is that there's pretty advanced taxidermy in at least the man the city of manator i don't know that it exists anywhere else and in fact i almost feel like it doesn't because the characters who are introduced to it seem to find that it's pretty surprising even so, it exists in Manator, and so it's something that could pop up in any other um, city. And it's, um, you know, there are vats of liquid, and they, they dip dead creatures into it to preserve them. And they shrink them down, of course, because uh, shrinking heads, right? I mean, that's just the sort of the, the most classic 
the most cliche way of, of, of performing taxidermy. And it's this old guy, uh, Igos, who, who practices taxidermy in the, in the, you know, deep into the, the, the pits or the basements of, of the, of the main, uh, sort of city or castle, I guess, of, of Manator. It's, it's a very, it's a bizarre encounter. It ends badly for everyone, and then it keeps getting worse. It's just, it's a really, really strange twist that the story takes. And, and a lot of the story kind of feels like it's just kind of, it's, it's very, it feels very much in a way like a D&D campaign, actually, because it's like, well, there's this obvious answer right over here. But there are going to just be problems and problems time and time again, unexpectedly, to draw the story out, mostly needlessly, but in a very, very entertaining way. Speaking of entertainment, the Chessmen of Mars, the book, takes its name from the fact that there's a chess-like game on Mars called Jatan. Jatan uses uh, a 10 by 10 grid. For its board, and there are 20 pieces on either side, and they all have unique, well not all, but, but certain classes of pieces have unique movements. I've not tried to play it myself. I should. I keep meaning to, and I still have yet to do that. I, I guess I just need to assemble a board and and mark down the different pieces. Either way, it's, it's a game that is described in the book. You can Download the book from Gutenberg.org and look up the rules. It is described not in great detail, but he describes the pieces and the moves for each piece and the different win conditions of the game. So you could you could give it a go. So the 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 big revelation here in this in this in this book is that Mars is largely well it's it's a smorgasbord. It is it is open to whatever you want it to be. The the setting, the basic setting, has been created. It's a dying world with some technology based on solar power, and it's got flying machines, but horseback and swords. It's got independent cities that stand all all over the planet that don't really communicate to each other. So if you go out on an adventure to take supplies from one city to to another, or to 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 try to trade with another city, or to explore Mars, you never know what you're going to run into, and it's almost it's that it's not even a problem it's going to be it's going to sound and feel like canon no matter what you put into mars because frankly everyone's sort of doing their own thing whether you wander into a valley and find a crazed death cult or whether you wander into a city and find a bunch of headless creatures walking around until heads mount them and uh start giving them life it's 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 up to you. The, 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 there, there's, there's enough room for all kinds of ideas on Barsoom, and that's really, really liberating. This is definitely a setting 
that invites you to be as crazy as you want or to be as traditional as you want. You could have a, a very sort of traditional, almost medieval society living in a little corner of Mars somewhere, quite surprised to find that there are such things as flying ships and an eighth ray of the sun or a ninth ray of the sun. Who knows? You, you can have all kinds of things happening, and no one would question it because the setting itself is already just such fulfilled with such variety and with such diversity. So, Barsoom is a great setting. It's very liberating. The content that is out there is on Gutenberg.org. You should go download at least the first couple of books. You should read them. They're a lot of fun. They're very dated, but they're still a lot of fun. And they're just teeming with ideas, and, and you can see where it's influenced things that you already know and love. Take this, make it into your own version of those things that you love that have been influenced by it, and then make it further into something of your very own. Whether it's in a story that you're writing or a game that you're going to run, it is a brilliant little setting. It's a lot of fun to be in. Take it and run with it. I think Edgar Rice Burroughs would probably very much approve. It does seem like a lot of those early authors thrived on bouncing ideas off of one another. I don't think that they would much approve of the copyright status these days. Luckily, we have a bunch of them in the public domain, so go plunder at will. Have fun with other people's ideas let them generate your own ideas. That's what it's all about. And that's what this show has been about. This marks the end of the Barsoom series, and it also marks the end of Chronicles and Commons, or Commons and Chronicles. The show has been a really... it's had a good run. It's been two years of weekly releases, more or less. I've missed a couple of episodes, but that's, that's fine. It's been a good run. I've gotten a lot covered. Not everything that I've wanted to cover... I mean, there's a lot more out there that I would love to talk about, and it's it, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. There's folklore, there's fairy tales, there's there's urban legends, there are open game license materials, there, there's just all kinds of stuff that I would love to talk about. But I feel like a hundred-ish episodes of public domain and Creative Commons licensed coverage has been good. I feel like I've gotten the bulk of the things that sort of urgently needed to get out there. I felt like that has gotten out there. And at this point, it's time to, to retire this show and turn my attention to, to other things, because I have lots of interests. I do want to encourage you, though, to continue the conversation. Continue it either on Mastodon or through email and certainly continue it in your own real-life interactions. There are lots of people out there, and they don't necessarily know that Creative Commons is a thing. They don't understand the concept of copyrighted material versus public domain versus Creative Commons, or, or an open license versus n something not being open and possibly even technically being illegal. There's a lot of those gray areas that happen, both 
implicitly because everyone just assumes, well, we've all heard of this thing, so it's basically public domain. And, and then, of course, sometimes it happens explicitly. Like, you're allowed to use this for certain purposes. Then people just don't, don't always see the, the differences. And so talking to people about that and, and pointing out to people why we're able to iterate on great ideas and why we're not really supposed to be iterating on other ideas, it's kind of important. And I'm going to close the show with a quote from an article, from a Creative Commons article about Creative Commons. The quote, Free culture is a redundant term that shouldn't be part of our vocabulary. Culture, conceptually, is an organic process. It's the way a society develops and grows from one person to another. It's about the interactions and the ideas that people share. It's a unique product of the modern world that culture is not free by default. If you want to combat that and prefer to share your culture with your fellow human beings across the globe, support Creative Commons by contributing to it, by using it, and supporting those who do. Hey, it's been a great ride. Thank you so much for listening. In the future, be sure to visit mixedsignals.ml about gaming, culture, creativity, and a lot more. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me via email at klaatu at member.fsf.org. You can also usually catch me in IRC as not klaatu. I'm on the Freenode network. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.